0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. My name is Clay Maynard, and I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Johnson. We are two guys committed to the centrality of the gospel, and we want to see our brothers and sisters captivated all over again by the beauty and glory of Christ. Josh, how's it going, man? Going well, Clay. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, man. I've been really busy lately.
1: Yeah, I understand that. It's not necessarily a bad problem to have.
0: No, I I guess it's good busy. It's not... It's not uh, It's not pointless busy, but, and it's better than being bored. That's what I always say. Yeah, that's true. It's job security. That's the, that's. There it is. (laughs) There it is. But I have been very busy lately,
1: but it makes vacations even nicer. Oh yeah. When you go through really busy seasons of life, it like, it makes vacation just that much sweeter. Well, and I like to plan the vacation, not as much as I like going, but almost as much
0: because you have some, that thing to look forward Mm -hmm. to. You know how it is when you're working week after week. If you don't have anything on the calendar to look forward to, it just makes it feel endless. Yep. Having something on the
1: calendar to look forward to uh, is really cool. Yeah, because then you know there's this day when I leave and I yes. get vacation. There's that week leading up to it where I'm the most productive I am all year <laughs> because I'm preparing for vacation. Yeah, it's a beautiful time.
0: Yeah, we're actually going uh, out of town in September and super excited about that. Around around Labor Day. Where are you going? Going to Ohio, we're tr- tracking all the way across the country. We have family that lives in Ohio. They have a big county fair up there we're going to. Maybe do some golfing, some reading, some you sleeping. Golf? Yeah, not very much because it's expensive. But I didn't know that. You, wow. I didn't know you that. You didn't know that, that no. I like to golf. No, I had no idea. Uh, I've only gone with our pastor here once,
1: but <laughs> I do like to. I'm just, as I said before, I'm too busy to. He's been on a crusade to get me to go golfing with him. And I've only gone to the driving Josh, range why one don't time. we make this a thing where the staff at Fellowship go golfing together? I don't golf, man. I, I'm saying we change that. I don't have money I want to invest in a set of <laughs> golf clubs. <laughs> okay,
0: that's actually um, a really great point because I don't own very nice golf clubs. I used to have, if there's any golf fans out there, a set of Nike Sasquatches um, back before I got married. I sold them, Josh. True story. I sold my golf clubs, my Nike golf clubs, to buy an engagement ring for my wife mm. and those golf clubs were my gift from my parents for my high school graduation so it was a it was a real coming of age moment
1: there i mean i did something similar to buy an engagement ring for michaela i sold a really nice custom-made rifle so i could purchase at least make a you know a decent payment on that's a, awesome on yeah same I mean, here yeah. the
0: golf clubs paid for part of it yeah um, and then I kind of did something similar more recently. So I had, I had gotten through most of my degree, but I had, sl- I had slowed down some cause we'd had our, a couple of kids and life had just gotten busy and had, a, I had a job change and then, but at the time I had an Xbox and I needed to buy a laptop to finish my degree and I sold my Xbox to buy a laptop. That was several years ago now, yep. but
1: it's one of those moments where you're like, time to grow up. Yep. <laughs> Put your big boy pants on. You know what I think is funny? What's up? We were sitting here just moments ago thinking, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about in this intro? And we've been talking now for what, seven minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Has it been that long? I, I don't know. I'm we a do guys. Attention.
0: little peek behind the curtain. We go into episodes thinking, Hey, let's try to think of something to sort of catch up about or banter about. We don't talk about it beforehand. We wait till we're here to yes. talk about it, but we try to pick a topic. So there's something to go at it. And you're right. We couldn't think of anything. We were like, let's just hit record and see and what see happens what,
1: see what happens <laughs> there's some spaghetti at the wall so to speak we do have a couple of things to talk about yeah absolutely one is josh go ahead and tell them about red circle okay so you you may not be familiar with red circle but red circle is a podcasting platform uh, they have different tools for podcasters but they give you as a podcaster an opportunity to connect with your audience in a different way giving you similar to Patreon ways for your audience to donate to the podcast. Unlike Patreon, though, Red Circle lets your audience determine how much they'd like to donate to the podcast should they want to donate to the podcast. So um, we're in the process of getting that set up. It's not set up just yet as of this recording, but when this goes live, if it is ready to go, check the description on this episode. You'll find a link to it there. And if that's something that you believe you'd like to help us out with by donating to the podcast in some way you can go right on there to our red circle and select whatever amount you'd like to donate. You can donate a one-time gift. You can donate recurring gifts, whatever you want to do. If that's something that, you know, you've prayed about it and that's what you want to do. Feel free. We love to. And if you donate in the next 60 minutes, yes, it will be matched 200%. I'm just joking. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Matched 200% by you, the listener. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we did get, we have gotten to this point in the podcast, Josh, where we're like, what, six, seven months in? Yeah. And we're like, oh man, it's going to get to 12 months. And we got to pay all those subscriptions again. Mm-hmm. So we decided, hey, if our listeners who've benefited from the podcast would like to jump in and help us out, and the Red Circle will also potentially set us up with sponsors yeah possibly and ads and
1: things like that
0: so if you hear us talking about something you know it'll be something we we think is awesome and we find interesting and that we think you'll find interesting but uh red circle might help us out with that as well so i guess we'll see should be fun absolutely also josh we we sort of uh did a bait and switch with our with our audience we have to we have to confess this yeah we didn't like lie to you guys but things happened (laughs) Yeah, we told you we were going to talk about theological triage this week, and we are going to talk about that next episode. So two weeks from this episode going live, we will be talking about theological triage.
1: Next episode, we told everyone we'd talk about it, next episode. That doesn't necessarily mean next, next episode. It could just be any episode that comes up next, right? It's
0: more true now than when we said it. (laughs) But we didn't do that on purpose. We didn't. We didn't. We had an opportunity to interview somebody for this topic, which we hinted at as well. Yeah, we told you guys we were going to talk a little bit about the history of fundamentalism because last episode, if you remember, we talked a lot about those early days and what the fundamentals are, why they were important, what they were there to do. But as we all know, things change over time, and we wanted to know what happened, what's happened since then in, fun, in the world of fundamentalism, and the people who espoused the fundamentals. And that is what this week is about, because we had the opportunity to interview uh, Dr. Matthew Lyon, who is a Baptist historian, uh, a scholar, an expert on this subject. And we did not want to miss the opportunity to interview him and bring that
1: content to you guys. This interview was awesome, and I'm so excited that we get to bring it. So on the one hand, we're really sorry that we misled you guys, but dang it, it's our podcast and we'll do whatever we want with it. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Dr. Lyon, he brings so much knowledge to this subject.
0: Yeah, I was blown away by that interview. I knew he was knowledgeable about it, but I was, I was just blown away as we talked to him uh, by just how much uh, information that he had at Recall about this subject and about the history involved. And, you know, history is such a great thing, Josh. Yeah. We should care. Mm-hmm. The history matters. What actually happened
1: matters. And so uh, this was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, let's hop right into our interview today with Dr. Matthew Lyon.
2: You're listening to The Young Baptist Podcast, a show that exists to call believers to committed faithfulness to God's word, to equip Christians by answering the tough questions that need to be asked, and to challenge churches on everything that distracts us from the beauty and glory of Christ. Now, here's your hosts, Clay Maynard and Josh Johnson.
0: All right, well, we're so happy to have uh, Dr. Matthew Lyon with us today. Uh, Dr. Lyon became uh, a lead pastor. He's been uh, pastoring in Maryland for about six years. He uh, got his PhD in church history at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, Matt, it's great to have you this morning, man. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing great. and I'm glad to be on here. You guys are the up and coming podcast. And <laughs> oh, well, I told thank someone, you. anytime people are working on Baptist history, I'm in. Like it doesn't matter what they're doing or how they're doing it, I support them. That's that's really good to hear because this is a true story.
0: When we were first starting, especially talking about the Baptist distinctives, we were like, "Man, out there, Matthew, out there somewhere, Doctor Matthew Lyon is tearing these episodes apart." Absolutely, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a hundred percent supportive. There were times we would be like, "Man, I think we did pretty good, but I wonder what Doctor Lyon would say." <laughs>
0: Well, to be honest, your your podcast, uh, which for our listeners too, uh, Dr. Lyon is the uh, is the host of the History and Hope podcast, um, which is a Baptist history and and theology and and culture podcast. And that was a lot of uh, inspiration for me. We, you know, I was aware of and could broadly define the Baptist distinctives, but listening to your podcast actually gave me a much deeper desire and appreciation for those for those beliefs and a desire to dig into them further. And it led me to a lot of reading and it sort of became that, that passion sort of became the the reason we did, we opened our podcast with, with a series on the distinctives mm-hmm. for that reason. Um, and so, yeah, that was, it's been your, your podcast actually was super helpful as a secondary source for us to sort of, uh, point us in the right direction on some resources and things like that.
3: Well, I appreciate that. I think, um, a good teacher wants to see his students like grow and like take the knowledge from them and then leave. And then do it themselves. So like multiplying Baptist history podcasts, like that'd be great. Like it's Mm. it's something that we all should own as Baptist. And so I I think what you guys are doing is great. Yeah. And I was excited actually, we went to the
0: Idea Summit out in Vegas back in January of this year. And I had, I think I'd heard from somebody that you were going to be there or that you were planning to be there. And I was excited to meet you. And I think I saw you at some point. I was like, oh, I got to get over there. Cause you know how those environments are. Like you're just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Grabbed by person after person as you're walking around uh and then you actually approach you you came over and said hey and i was uh we were, it was so cool to to get to meet you over there and, and spend some time with you um and that's when i first mentioned i was like dude we have to have we have to have you on the podcast so we're we're glad to have you for sure man
3: have you seen that meme where the guy walks up and he's dressed like a teenager but he's old and he's like hello fellow young people and he has like a skateboard but he's like 50 (laughs) that was me with you guys i'm like full of young people
1: (laughs) oh
0: that's fantastic you're talking about like the stereotypical like 45 year old youth pastor who like turns the chair backwards and sits on it while he talks (laughs) to the youth group
3: (laughs) let's just let's just chat guys
0: (laughs) yeah man so we we last week talked about fundamentalism and, or not last week, it was last episode, we talked about fundamentalism. We talked about, we just talked about the origins of the fundamentals and they're from that, you know, fund, obviously fundamentalism yeah. and the funda- the early fundamentalists. Uh, we talked about why they were important, w- you know, when they emerged, um, which was, you know, as we know, it was a response. It was a reaction to the drift that theological liberalism um, and the use of um, you know modern critical tools and things like that the influence that that was having on the church created that that response and uh, and we talked about what what they were useful for what they accomplished uh, in that in that first uh, iteration of them the 1920s and in those early days um, but we did what we didn't get into and what we would like to talk to you about because it's something that we would like to grow in our understanding of is what happened after that so I, I see a lot about uh, of what Looks like fundamentalism today, and I know that, that the term is such a, a loaded term today. But like, what happened from that early unified group who who saw it as a as a way for Christian Orthodox Christians to, to unite around uh, around being clear on what being a Christian was? What happened after that? Things obviously began to change. began to change not long after that uh, in fundamentalism as it became known um what can we let's talk about what changed since then and um you know what have been the phases if you will of fundamentalism
3: yeah so um one thing to know about movements the, the term movement is really helpful because it it's uh what we, what we want with history is we want a year where everything changed uh. and we could say in this year this movement or this group existed and then in this year they ended Mm -hmm. because it'd be so much more simple if we could just kind of put everything in the compartments sure unfortunately people aren't like that and history's not like that so the fundamentalist movement is helpful because it does kind of show this sort of incremental change so what happened you could say 1925 was the turning point that was the the scopes trial the the scopes monkey trial Mm -hmm. Um, but what had been happening prior to that? was a movement in America and in the world. So fundamentalism, they would have called themselves just regular Christians, right? And that the liberal modernist movement would have been trying to change historical Christianity. And so in the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, and I'm sure you guys went over this. It was a a pretty unified group in America. Mm -hmm. And, even before the fundamentalist movement, Christianity was pretty unified in America in a lot of ways, hmm. uh, of course, and it depends on what you mean by unified. But so the battle happens in the 20s, 1925, the Scopes Monkey Trial basically kills the hope for fundamentalists to take over popular culture, to be sort of when you say Christian, when, when you turn on CNN and they say Christian, it meant fundamentalist. But in 1925, that was killed and they were made to look foolish in the trial. And, and they went underground after that. Hmm. And so it became a, uh, a subculture. So after 25, they get sort of an embattled feel of hmm. like, oh, we lost the, the, the war for America. Now we're the remnant within America.
0: Hmm. right?
3: We're no longer, you know, we're no longer the Christians in a Christian nation. Now we're the remnant battling for America. So that was 25. Um, And so then you go into this next phase. And I think Justin Taylor um, breaks it down into these different phases. I don't know if you've seen his article where he has like four phases of of fundamentalism. Uh, The first was the peaceful phase. That was before the battle started. Then you had the militant phase. Uh, That's where all the fighting happened. And then you had the divisive stage. So the militant stage, that's when they are battling for denominational control. So the American Baptist convention, the Southern Baptist convention. So we're talking like the twenties to the thirties, forties, fifties. Yeah. They started their little like fundamentalist,
0: uh, like, f- like little organizations yeah. of within, within the, denominations. the denominations.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's this idea of like, we've been the Christians, we've started these denominations. We've uh, built these groups and now the liberals are taking over. Right. So we need to fight for these things. And so when you say fundamentalist, fundamentalist is one of the more debated terms in history. And Mm -hmm. to this day, even what is a fundamentalist? Uh, So at that time, they would have not really seen a big distinction between fundamentalism and evangelicalism. Hmm, Right. So to say you're an evangelical and say you're a fundamentalist would have been saying the same thing in the 20s, 30s, 40s.
1: Okay.
3: Um. So at that time, it was fighting for denominational control, fighting for um, cultural control, and didn't work. Obviously, we know we know that the ending of those. Mm-hmm. So you see the the battle starting to be lost in these denominations. So first, the American Baptist Convention, uh, that was the Northern Baptist Convention, later became the American Baptist. They started to lose control there first. It was pretty quickly. And so they break off. You get like the um, Baptist Bible Union, which became like GRBC, mm-hmm. uh, P.T. Shields, W.B. Riley. Those are guys in the north. They would have been the northern fundamentalists. We don't really think of them as much because they weren't as um, flamboyant or dramatic. <laughs> so they don't stand out as much, but they were fundamentalist. Right. Uh, what we really think of fundamentalism is when they came out of the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. So the Northern Baptist convention had more influence by fun, by liberals and modernists. So it basically became modernist Southern Baptist convention was mostly conservative. And so the the battle there lasted longer because the churches were on board with the fundamentalist movement. And really what happened, the reason fundamentalism didn't stay in the Southern Baptist convention is because they were jerks. That's really what it came down to. It wasn't that the theology was disagreed upon. It was guys like J. Frank Norris, who was so insufferable that they couldn't stand to have him in their meetings. Hmm. So, J. Frank Norris was the past, was the editor of the the Southern Baptist paper in Texas. So, he was the general editor of the, the, in Texas being the largest state uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention, and probably the most amount of Southern Baptists are in Texas. So he he was the editor of that paper. So he was 100% true blue southern baptist. Right. And he was the pastor of um, First Baptist Church Fort Worth. So he was which a big was, shot.
0: Which was like the largest church in the country at the time.
3: Um not when he first went there. Okay. I think it became that. It became that later. Okay. okay. After he became a fundamentalist. Um but at first it was just the, it was the prominent there weren't mega churches. There weren't a lot of mega churches back then. Yeah. So but it was the most prominent church in Fort Worth and Fort Worth was one of the most prominent cities in Texas. So it was a large church Uh, and he was just kind of normal. Like when you think of J. Frank Norris, you think crazy. Yeah. He wasn't crazy then. He was an editor. He was a stable pastor. He was pretty normal. Then he had this sort of um, uh, epiphany moment at a camp meeting, I believe. And he came back and he became the J. Frank Norris that we know who was just over the top and he never left the Southern Baptist convention. He was kicked out. Hmm. So he wanted to be a Southern Baptist because this is what fundamentalists want. Fundamentalists do not want to leave. They want to control. They want to take over for the truth or whatever their, their values yeah, are. Yeah, takes back the ground as it were like, yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, you know, hold on to something or, or push out, you know, liberals or, yeah. Take back the ground that the liberals have taken over. So J. Frank Norris, uh, he would be the the father of independent Baptist fundamentalism. Right. And in, in, which is what we, we know as our fundamentalism. Uh, W.B. Riley, T.T. T. Shields, that would be that sort of northern Baptist fundamentalism that became the GRBC. So what happened with Norris was he wanted to be in the convention. He wanted to influence the convention. But he would show up to these meetings and just cause so much tr- strife for people that eventually they said, it's not that we disagree with you necessarily. It's that you are a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. You are divisive. You are harsh. You are aggressive. So they kicked him out of the Texas Baptist Convention. He goes back to them and apologizes and says, I'll be better. And so they let him back into the convention. So he petitioned to come back in and and they let him back in, Hmm. but he could not stop with his antics. You know, this is when he's like, he's killing a man in his office. He's burning down his church building. He's getting in fights with everybody. So they kicked him out a second time and sort of permanently banned him. So what's happening is not so much a theological battle in the churches, but a political battle in the denomination. Hmm. So it's, and so, the Northern Baptists kind of went the way of liberalism. The Southern Baptists were tolerating liberalism, and they let some liberal teachers in their schools, and people like Jay Frank Norris were like, "You can't do that. We're going to make make a fuss." yeah, so um, as with everything else in history, it's complicated because what's going on in the twenties, late twenties in America? you got the the Wall Street crash,
0: yeah, Great Depression, yeah,
3: get the Great Depression. So, in the Southern Baptist Convention, in the the mid-20s, they started the cooperative program. So, when we think of Southern Baptist Convention, we think of the cooperative program where they all share money. That didn't exist before. So, there was a Southern Baptist Convention with no cooperative program. They started in the 20s when everything was the roaring 20s, got millions in pledges, took out loans on those pledges, and then the depression hits. Hmm. And they can't pay the loans back. So they're going around to these churches trying to encourage people to give while J. Frank Norris is also going around to the churches criticizing the denomination and the cooperative program specifically. And
0: meanwhile, people, are, people. people are already
3: broke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and he's saying it's being mismanaged. There's corruption in the, in
1: the denomination, mm-hmm. which was all true. Wait, you're talking about J. Frank Norris and not modern day Twitter, right? <laughs> some things never
0: change it is the spirit of J. Frank Norris is alive Josh <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes um, so they didn't have Twitter they had radio speaking engagements and newspapers so you remember J. Frank Norris was a newspaper editor for the Southern Baptists so he starts his own newspaper called the Searchlight and it was his version of a blog a Twitter a podcast it was a way to get information out there. And so he's he's spending all of his time attacking the denomination while the denomination is trying to raise the money that they've lost. And so you can see the conflict there, both politically and theologically. And he was also just a very abrasive person. Um, he ended up alienating everyone in his life, even his own son. So by the end of his life, he had cut off ties with everybody. So mm-hmm. he just would progressively cut ties with everybody. So he's the one who gives the catalyst for the independent fundamentalism. And that's in the thirties. So you see this idea of like, we don't need the convention. We can do better on our own. Mm -hmm. And that's, and so J. Frank Norris is building a very large church. Um, It becomes a mega church. I don't know. I I don't know if it actually was the biggest church in America, but it could have been. Right. Um, Very well could have been. Then he goes to Detroit. And pastors another church, which becomes a super mega church there. And so he's pastoring the one in Fort Worth and in Detroit. And Mm -hmm. what happened there was he didn't pastor any northerners. During the thirties, people went North for work. So there was a Southern migration North. Mm. And so he was pastoring Southerners in the North. That's why he was able to do both at the same time. Mm. So this, so that he's sort of the figurehead there's many other people. John R. Rice is another uh, example of the 30s and 40s. It was still fairly unified. Now it's about whether you stay in the denomination or whether you become independent, whether you start your own denomination. Uh, and so you've got sort of two sides of it. You've got the, the or three. You got the liberals. Then you've got the denominationalists who are like, we're going to stay in and try to make it work. And then you've got the independents. But by the time you get to the 40s and 50s, it changes, and now within fundamentalism or evangelicalism, there's a there's a conflict of how are we going to be like J. Frank Norris, or are we going to be more um, you know normal? Yeah, more yeah. peaceable. And and these and, so, and
0: that and that debate. It, correct me if I'm wrong. That debate wasn't on, on necessarily always on doctrine.
3: Ah, uh, very rarely on
0: doctrine, actually.
3: It was on because the, it was, it on was personality
0: on, and, and market share and what I mean. It was
3: yeah. It was on it was about how power. You, yeah. So okay. it's always about power. <laughs> it's always about power. Um, power is not always bad, but it's always about power in fundamentalism. It was okay. Now we've agreed that the the liberals are wrong, mm-hmm. and we've separated from them. How do we relate to a country and a culture? That is going the path of modernism. What's our relationship to them? Hmm. Uh, we, we we couldn't work with them. And so we kind of got past that battle of, okay, we're, we've drawn this, the battle lines on one side or the other. Now that we've drawn the lines, now what? Do we work with them? Do we talk to them? Uh, how do we deal with culture in general? What's our attitude towards America? And so you have two camps kind of arising there. And mm-hmm. what we would, what, what they call themselves was neo-evangelicals. So, neo evangelicals were fundamentalists who didn't want to be combative. And so, Carl F. H. Henry, um, Achengay, they were fundamentalists. They broke away, but they're like, hey, we can still talk to people. Like, we can still work in seminaries yeah. and we, we, we can have our own convictions, but still engage in culture. And other fundamentals were like, no, that's compromise. I mean, right. That's, that's what we're talking about to this very day of how much are we allowed to wear beards or how can we, can we work in seminaries or or institutions with people who don't agree with us? And so you have a split there between these separatist fundamentalists and these sort of uh, fundamentalists who are willing to work with other people. And a lot of spectrum there. A lot of it comes, how do you deal with culture? Mm -hmm. So fundamentalists have become very uh, anti-social gospel. And from the social gospel, they just became antisocial.
4: Yeah. Hmm.
3: And so it was just about preaching the gospel and not about any sort of social work or or work for justice. And so neo-evangelicals were willing to compromise uh, relationships, not doctrine, but relationships. And you have a break in the 40s, 50s over that. Now, it's funny because John R. Rice was more like a neo-evangelical. Right. He worked with, so if you want to divide it, you've got um, Bob Jones on one side as a strict fundamentalist, and you got Billy Graham on the other side as the right. neo evangelicals. Yeah. That's the common way to divide it. Bob, uh, John R. Rice. So if you're don't know, John R. Rice ran the largest evangelical newspaper in America, The Sword of the Lord, mm-hmm. um, for like 40 years. Yep. And at that time, he was probably the most influential fundamentalist until he died in 1980 he was well-educated. He was articulate. He was a nice guy. Um, so he was very influential.
0: Yeah. And that, and that you were talking earlier about J, J. Frank Norris, uh, cutting ties with everybody as as that sort of initial, initial firebrand, him and, him and John R. Rice were friendly for a while. And then eventually he, he
3: alienated yeah. John R. Rice too, right? Yeah. John R. Rice had an office in J Frank's Norris, J Frank Norris's church for hmm. a while. Hmm. So they were working very closely and, until, uh, Rice decided to move north to do evangelistic meetings and didn't ask permission from Norris. And so Norris um, started sending messages ahead of Rice to say that he was a charismatic and he's believed in faith healing and basically lied about him to kill his meetings. Hmm. And so John and Rice was like, okay, well, we can't work together anymore. Right. Yeah. But again, it was about control. Norris wanted to be the leader and Rice was like, no. And so they they split but rice was like, we can be fundamentalists. And he has a, he has a chapter in his book. Um, I am a fundamentalist. He goes, be a fundamentalist, but not a nut. Yeah. And that was yeah. his goal. So he worked with Billy Graham. He was Billy Graham's mentor, right? He brought Billy Graham out of obscurity because Billy Graham was about evangelism. And so John rice was about evangelism. So there was these guys who were like, Hey, we're here to preach the gospel. We'll fight if we have to, but we're here to preach the gospel. And so you have Billy Graham on one side of this neo-evangelical movement, and then you've got Bob Jones and J. Frank Norris on the other side. And that comes um, so the '40s. There's the break with like Wheaton College and, and things like that. Uh, Christianity Today. And then in the '50s, Billy Graham's a big, big name now. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the he's the becoming the largest evangelical um, evangelist. And so what's happening, he's now becoming the face of evangelicalism. Well, he's a compromiser, according to fundamentalists. He even uses the RSV sometimes, Um, and he will (laughs) talk to neo-evangelicals, or he'll talk to neoliberals or neo-Orthodox. So he wasn't toeing the line. right? And fundamentalists, um, like Bob Jones especially, and other fundamentalists were saying, like, he's a compromiser. He's, he's 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 good. His theology's straight, but he's associating with people who are not.
0: Yeah, and you, that 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 uh, that expectation of Billy Graham that he that for ecclesiastical separation uh, to, to the degree that they wanted him to, I mean, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but it, it was mostly for Billy. It was about reaching the lost soul. So if there was, if there was a new pulpit, he could stand in to preach the gospel, he was going to cross any bridge he could possibly get across to do that. And, yeah. and they thought, they felt that he was muddy in the waters on doctrine, at least to the, to the public by associating. Is that, was that, a, is that a fair?
3: Yeah. So he, um, assessment? he would have a, so, so within liberalism, you have classic liberalism, and then after World War II, when everyone realized that people are terrible, right? It's hard to <laughs> deny that people are terrible after World War II, and that yeah. they were worse than they had been. It seemed. You have what's called neoliberalism, and neoliberals were like, actually, man is sinful. Mm-hmm. Man is not going to make it on his own. Like he is sinful and needs to be saved, and so the neoliberal movement was was a little bit of a compromise. They rejected both fundamentalism and liberalism and tried to have a, a, a third way. Now, they still denied some key things, um, and Billy Graham would have them speak or pray at his meetings. And so there's a divide now within fundamentalism. Do we work with people who work with liberals? So the neo-evangelical movement died out. And transitioned into the evangelical movement. So, if you think of evangelicals today, you're thinking of like Tim Keller, John Piper, John MacArthur, Carson um, people like that. Yeah, D. A. Carson. Names. Yeah, yeah. They rejected neo-evangelicalism. So, this is the thing no one thinks about. It's like, oh, these neo-evangelicals. No, actually, all the evangelicals today, the conservatives, rejected the Billy Graham model because it did actually compromise with liberalism. If you have a liberal prey from your pulpit, you're promoting liberalism. Yeah, sure. Um, it's hard to, to not see it that way. So, but at that time, if you worked with a liberal, you were a liberal. And so they wouldn't <laughs> yeah. work with you. Uh, John R. Rice is interesting because he never broke with Billy Graham. Bob Jones says, Billy Graham's the most dangerous man in America. John R. Rice said, No, he's a Christian brother and I'll work with him. And I think I'm the only person who makes this argument, but John R. Rice would have worked with Billy Graham to this day, as long as he didn't have to work with liberals while he was doing it. Hmm. So there's a strain within fundamentalism that is separatist, that is um, problematic, but that would not believe in secondary separation. And so I think that Rice and others would have continued to work with Billy Graham. As long as the meeting was only conservatives. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And that Billy Graham wanted to have a meeting with a the liberal, they're like, we can't, we're not going to work with liberals. So that's the 50s where you have this internal divide, another eternal divide. And every time the movement divides, every time fundamentalist, fundamentalism divides, it pushes out the moderates. So in the 20s, the moderates were basically liberals. In the 30s and 40s, the moderates were people who just were a little bit more compromising with relationships. 50s and 60s, now you're pushing out moderates like John R. Rice. Hmm. You're splitting. And it's becoming more and more like J. Frank Norris. So the Southern Baptist Convention has, their schools are just filled with liberals, Mm modernists. Churches are pretty conservative. And so all the independent Baptist churches are now coming out of that. As it's become clear and growing by a lot because of it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, all the mega churches are independent Baptist. So, the heyday of fundamentalism is really the 20s. The heyday of independent fundamentalism is like the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, they're not as big as they were in the 20s because they've separated. But among independents, they have the largest churches in America. They're the most dynamic preachers. They. Here's the thing that we don't we don't think about. They looked like everybody white. Everybody white. So um when you looked at Jack Hiles or John R. Rice or or whoever, they looked like every preacher. They dressed like them, they talked like them, they had their haircuts like them. They just looked regular. Mm-hmm. So they appealed to everybody. Mm. We we think of fundamentalism is just kind of like real conservative, real whatever. But in the 50s and 60s, you, wouldn't, you couldn't have told what a mainstream. fundamentalist preacher was. Yeah, it's pretty what's mainstream that? culture. Yeah. At that time, yeah. Very mainstream. Their style was mainstream. Their language was mainstream. Their values were mainstream. Um, they were fighting a culture war, but most of the culture was on their side. Yeah, okay, I- so what's happened in the 50s and 60s? 50s and 60s is post-war America. America went through this traumatic experience with World War II and, and Korea. And now you got the hippies. Mm-hmm. You got these, these group of people who are rejecting all of the normal things that we've always held dear. They're even saying that America's bad. <laughs> and so, fundamentalism, and I believe this to be 100% true, fundamentalism is about retaining control of your place. So the, so fundamentalism did not arise simply over theology. It arose over control of America or wherever it arises, England or whatever. So what's happening in America in the beginning of fundamentalism, liberalism is changing the theology. Feminism, which came in the late 1800s, is changing gender. The roaring twenties is changing moral values. Um, Politics Hmm. are changing. And so fundamentalism is conservative in all these things. Okay, so now you come to the 50s and 60s, things are changing again. Hippies are coming out; they're growing out beards. So this is where the the no beards comes from. And I think people have talked about this before. It's the it's the same spirit of we are preserving what is ours. Hmm. And these people who are not wearing ties, growing out their beards, changing their dress styles they're the radicals who are destroying america and in, and the reason the churches are growing by leaps and bounds is because most of america agreed with that if you walk down to your local walmart in 1955 and said what's wrong with america they would have said civil rights communist and hippies that's what's wrong with america and what are every sermon the fundamentalists are preaching the communist The, um, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. is a liberal and he works with communists, Uh, the hippies. So if you see someone and so when you see these advertisements for hipster pastors, (laughs) was that as a hipster pastors, right? (laughs) It's The same thing. It's the exact same thing. It's this idea of you're you're subverting clean, upstanding Christians. And you're going into this wild. Um, sort of liberalism of of culture. So you look at college advertisements in the fifties and sixties for like the newly founded colleges, and they're all about our our people are going to be clean shaven, and they're going to follow the rules, and they're they're not going to to they're going to learn to be hardworking, and it's all reactions. Yeah, they're going to learn to love America, moment. yeah, because the fear is communism is going to take over America. This was a huge fear the nuclear Mm -hmm. threat from Russia. So when you look at Jerry Falwell, got his start by traveling around America with these sort of make America great um, conferences. Mm -hmm. So fundamentalism has always been wrapped up in politics. If you were surprised that fundamentalists supported Trump, you don't know the history. Hmm. They've always been very, very political. Because they felt like and they rightly understood politics affects everybody. Right. So in the 50s and 60s, politics, I mean, you got Vietnam going on. Mm -hmm. You've got the civil rights movement going on. And so fundamentalism has always been entirely white. Um, explicitly white, I should say. Like it wasn't just happened to be white, which is, I would say right now it kind of just happens to be white, but it happens to be white because it was explicitly white before that. So so the early guys would intentionally promote segregation. John O'Rice, Bob Jones, Billy Graham, um, all of them. And that didn't end until, I don't know, five minutes ago. So <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> um what we're what we're dealing with as younger people is the after effects of segregation. Mm-hmm. So when you put everybody in the room that looks the same, and then and you shut the door so no one else can come in. Everyone looks the same, but when you open the door, it doesn't change who's in the room, right? The same people are in the room, right? So what happened in the beginning was we have to conserve American culture, which is white. And then maybe in the nineties and two thousands, like, oh well, this isn't the way to do it. You know, Bob Jones was wrong for banning interracial marriage. So Let's open the door. Well, no one's walking through that door <laughs> after a hundred years. Hmm. So it it goes back to the same. Concepts. And this is what's this is how you understand the the movement of fundamentalists. So when I hear you like you guys being called trendies, same, it's a it's a new word for a same for an old idea, Mm -hmm. which is you are changing things, Mm -hmm. you are undermining all that is good. So uh the 50s and 60s were a profound moment because fundamentalism was on the side of popular culture, fighting against the same battles that America's fighting against. So if you, have you heard of McCarthyism? Yes. So McCarthy was trying to root out communists right. in Congress, and he, he went everywhere looking for them. Well, fundamentalists were doing the same thing. So you can see how popular their churches would be. Hmm. So we need to kind of get away from this idea that they were, they were uh, and this is going to be controversial, it wasn't the Holy Spirit moving in these churches. They just aligned themselves with popular culture.
4: Hmm.
3: So you went to work, And you saw this Catholic or this Russian walking in just doing whatever he wanted or this black person who now is can go to whatever school he wants to. And you're like, I don't like that. So you go to church and the preacher gets up there and says, I'm going to stick by the stuff. We're not going to change anything around here. And you're like, I like that guy. And Mm -hmm. he's like, now, now believe in Jesus and he'll and Jesus will save America. And you're like, oh, man, America needs saving. Yeah. There's yeah. communists everywhere. There's liberals everywhere. These hippies are out there just growing beards and wearing these funny clothes. So uh, Jesus was going to save America. Mm. And so these churches grew by just thousands and thousands and thousands.
1: Which it's absolutely mind-blowing to say fundamentalism and popular culture like connected to each other in the same sentence. Right. That's unbelievable. Yeah
3: yeah because we, we've grown up in a time where fundamentals we're, we're always the weird ones yeah, yeah. like you go up in a strict fundamentalist church and you go to the mall or you go to the the, the, the water park you're weird like you stand out your clothes are different and guys can't wear shorts or bathing suits whatever like the rules yeah. are wherever you came from but that all changed later you go to the 50s and most conservative people thought drinking was bad thought smoking well smoking was everyone thought smoking was okay at that time um, everyone was kind of against the same things. Hmm. Of course you wore a suit and tie to church. What else would you wear? If you went to a church and the preacher wasn't wearing a suit and tie and wasn't clean shaven, you'd be like, who's this communist sympathizer? <laughs> so, yeah. it's. I mean, that's exactly what you I, would and think. And I can, heard- I can see
0: that you can look even at the, what was popular culture, like even the remnants of the media from that time period, you can see all of that. And yeah. I just, uh, just, Listening to you talk about the political and social and cultural influences that drove what became part of fundamentalism. I don't, I knew that there was a connection, but I don't like, I'm, I kind of feel like I'm, lear- one of the things I'm learning just from listening to you is that it, that they're inseparable. Like they're not, you can't tell the story of fundamentalism without that cultural and social and political yeah. upheaval because it really, it really, and again, and I'm sure we'll talk about this again, they lost that battle and they're, mm-hmm. and continuing to lose that battle. But it still maintains, it still exists as a reactionary response mm-hmm. yeah. to the changing world around us. And, and then it should be no surprise that, that the culture that still to this day is upheld is basically we need to get back to the 50s is essentially mm-hmm. the undertone. It's not said that way, but this mm-hmm. moniker of old time religion, for example, like it, it's this idea that, oh, things were good when it was when it was this way in the fifties, I, I just came across, yeah. um, a, a quote from the Hiles church manual. And if you want to go look at my Twitter or my Facebook or my, or whatever you can, you can read this list of things that a white, that all wives should do. And, oh, and, yes, <laughs> and, and it was, if you are to, don't look more efficient than your husband, if you are more efficient, try to be less efficient so <laughs> that he. So that he feels that you need him. Like all this really wild stuff that as you're reading it, you're like, what what is the matter with this? And one of the responses I got when I posted it was a guy who said, hey, what you have to realize is this was actually pretty common Mm -hmm. culturally back then. Which when he said that, what he said is true. That response is accurate. But my response to that was, wait a second, because in my experience of fundamentalism, it was we are countercultural. We are we are fighting against the thing, so I was like, "Hold on, I thought, I thought what made some of our some of these firebrands crazy was that they that they took things that were countercultural, but they just went too far." Mm-hmm. Well, may that may be what's happening with some Today. of them now. Yeah, but not then. But but the what the general what the guy was saying was accurate, which was no, actually he was being incredibly cultural and. And, uh, you know, and he was obviously in his heyday in the 70s and 80s was after that. But it was there was still such a, a groundswell culturally of negative response to those changes that were happening. And so yeah. it, it was very cultural in the 70s and 80s. And so or and it really was hearkening back to the like you said, the 50s and the 60s. Um, But that was a that was somewhat of a realization for me. And I was realizing, but I don't know if it's any less damning as I was I was telling Josh later. I said, I don't know if it's any less damning to say, oh, he was just spouting cultural. Uh, norms as spiritual truth. I don't know if that's any less damning than to say he was a chauvinist who subjected women, um, <laughs> right, and subordinated women. <laughs> yeah. But but it's but it's probably more accurate. I mean, surely, certainly, it was. Those are sexist ideas. Certainly, but yeah, but it. But even maybe more accurately, he was trying to return America and the church and society as a whole to those values that they weren't explicit. They weren't scriptural. They weren't christian they were cultural yeah. um and and that was uh that was it's it's, it's quite a realization because you're everything you're saying is backing up um that idea
3: you're right it's sexist and you're right that it's cultural because those were the same thing in america so we think of america as a democracy right all men are created equal uh but do we know the history of voting rights so like america when when it was a, a, the land of the free home of the brave only white men could vote Then they you know you had some changes, but when could women vote in America? Women are allowed to vote in 1920. What is happening in 1920? You've got the fund the rise of fundamentalism. Right. So America is now for the first time in, in the history of the world, maybe, I don't know, allowing women to take power. And fundamentalists are saying at the exact same time, gender roles are being undermined, and we need to keep women in their place. Don't let women be more efficient than men that makes it look like they're equal and god forbid that they're doing more than men so so this cultural changes are reflected so if you open a copy of like good housekeeping in 1940 and you open a copy of the sword of the lord in 1940 there's not much difference Hmm. there's not much difference between fundamentalism and general populace uh and then the same with with civil rights movement so uh, black people got the right to vote in 19, I don't know, it depends how you, you look at it, 1968, um, whatever. It depends on how you define voting rights. Well, what's happening in, in Bob Jones in 1960s? Open a copy of The Sword of the Lord and you're going to find in their segregational views. And so what's happening in popular culture is reflected in fundamentalism. And the reason fundamentalism is so popular because segregation was so popular. And hmm. because women's, Men are like, my wife used to stay at home while I went out and worked. Now she's showing up to work too. And then you went to church and the pastor was like, that's not right, men. You're the head of the home. You should be the leader. Women are going to take over. Like this is what's happening in America. This is what's happening in the church. So the, the fear of losing power is at the heart of all of this. The fear of losing power is at the heart of fundamentalism. And it was also at the heart of American culture for a lot of things. So you cannot understand fundamentalism without understanding American culture, because fundamentalism is American culture. Hmm. And what happens is fundamentalism just holds on to things a little bit longer than the rest of America. So in so it's interesting when we say fundamentalists want to go back to the 50s. That's true. Why don't they want to go back to the 20s? Well, it's because fundamentalism made it to the 50s. In the 50s, what were they saying? We need to go back to the 20s. Hmm. And in the 20s, what they were saying? We need to go back to the 1820s. Hmm. So it's always like 50 years behind, or or trying to preserve 50 years ago. And so now, you know, what are we trying to say? We need to go back to the 80s, right? That's the heyday. Yeah. That's Jack yep. Isles, mm-hmm. right? That was when people stood for the truth. That was when, you know, the greatest churches were Sunday school, whatever, 70s and 80s. And how long ago were the 70s and 80s? 50 years. Yeah. Um, So fundamentalism is about maintaining control of what is God's way. Which is a funny contradiction there because if it's God's way, then we don't need to maintain control. God will control it. But I don't think fundamentalism has been very close to God's way for a long time, if maybe ever. Uh, And it's not about the theology. The theology was the battle in the 20s. But once they split, it wasn't the battle anymore because everyone agreed on theology. This is the weird thing. What
0: you just said, that's uh, been a revelation for me. How many people I've met as an adult, you know, I grew up in fundamentalism. How many people I've met in my adult Christian life who, who reject the, the label of fundamentalism? They, they do not accept that they're a fundamentalist. And yet, on doctrine, on all of the orthodox doctrines, we agree on everything. Yeah. And, and so that, to me, has been a little bit of a revelation because I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, you are a fundamentalist. But there's, like I said, it's a loaded term because yeah. I, I was yeah. raised to believe it's all about doctrine. And what they yeah, understand yeah, what what yeah. they're hearing when they hear fundamentalists is no, 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 it's not just doctrine. It's as much a psycho. I mean, in the book 400 Years of Baptist History by Macbeth, he says that fundamentalism became as much a psychology as it was a theology. and and, and, yeah. and that you can't understand fundamentalism today without understanding a, a the the personality and the and the um the way they related to the world. It wasn't just about the theology. And yeah. that's what I see people that I interact with today who believe all the same Orthodox Christian beliefs that I do, re- wanting to distance them th- themselves from fundamentalism, not because of the doctrine, but because of the way, th- the, basically, in, th- in their view, the way it treats other mm-hmm. people, the way it re- relates to other people, the way that it relates to the world, the way that it relates to culture. They're saying they're not, it's, instead of seeing the, the world is at the doors, Right, and where the fundamentalists Mm -hmm. are saying, "Batten down the hatches, lock the doors, we'll be safe until Jesus comes and gets us," and let's let's bring it in close. These individuals are saying, "No, throw open the doors because we have the gospel, we have the hope for them. Open the doors and let them in." And I I don't, I, I wish there was like there's probably a healthy expression of both of those things. Because there yeah. certainly are things in the world to be protected from. There are certainly sinful things and there's certainly sinful practices that we should. Because you, you, you see all this militant language in scripture when it comes to spiritual warfare, but mm-hmm. not getting confused and allowing the culture to indoctrinate us with their values and say, this is the war yeah. we're fighting too. And I feel like that's the, the drift that I've started to yeah. observe that fundamentalism has taken. There's this drift away from, we're not fighting spiritual battles anymore. We're fighting cultural and social battles. Um, it, it, does that sound yeah. is that fair?
3: Yeah, that's spiritual battles. So I think a clue to fundamentalism is not the clothes you wear. It's not the dress standard you have, it's not the Bible version you have. That's what we think tells us fundamentalism. And so then we think, oh, the fundamentalists are the Heiles people or the Sore of the Lord people, or whoever you label as fundamentalists. The spirit of fundamentalism, a psychology, if you want to call it that is that there are things that are going to tear down the church Mm -hmm. and those things are the culture. Those things are external threats. Mm. Um, So you can pick up on fundamentalism, even when they wear normal clothes, if you want to call it normal, even when they grow a beard, even when they listen to rock music, even when they have rock music, because you'll hear things like this is the greatest threat to the church. This is a threat to the gospel. That's fundamentalist language. Yeah. The, the, the there is of... no threat. There is no threat to the church. Right. Yes. There is no threat to the gospel. Preach. The gates of hell will not prevail. <laughs> right. So let's think about who is, is sounding the alarm. It's easy to label the guys who are still wearing clothes from a long time ago, still using the King James as fundamentalists. But what about the Southern Baptists who are saying the same thing? x thing is the greatest threat to the church yes i hear that all the time okay so whatever your view of like critical race theory is notice when evangelical critical race theory is a threat to the gospel it's the greatest threat to the church of our day it's infiltrating the church i'm sorry that's fundamentalism Mm -hmm. well and then the connection to marx and communism is is is, it just sounds like the 60s all over again (laughs) It's the same language that the hyper-fundamentalists were using in the 50s, the 20s, even the 1800s. It's that there's an external threat, and we're not arguing whether that is good or bad. Communism is evil. right? Communism, and churches have known that even Martin Luther King Jr. preached sermons against communism. Communism is an atheistic, materialistic, satanic religion. Okay, so no one's arguing for communism, for Marxism. What we're saying is that fundamentalists will say it is a threat to the church. So now critical race theory is the new Marxism that is a threat to the church. No, it's not. It's no more of a threat to the church than communism was in the 50s. But what happens is fundamentalism is a wartime religion. It always has been a wartime religion. Which is useful useful in mobilizing people. (laughs) Exactly. It's getting people to do what you want them to do. Getting people to do what you want them to do is the goal of fundamentalism. Every single fundamentalist pastor, the good ones, the nice ones, the mean ones, the bad ones, they're all trying to get people to do what they want them to do. Hmm. And they may want them to read the Bible, they may want them to pray. But the goal is to get them to do what they think they should be doing. So you have to use language of fear, language of control, language of threat. So when John MacArthur says, X is a great threat, is the greatest threat, and it's going to tear it. We've got to fight it. John MacArthur never stopped being a fundamentalist. Hmm. We think John MacArthur's not a fundamentalist. He let people rap in his church. He, <laughs> he printed his own version of a Bible that was the NASB. That guy's so liberal. No, he just dropped his standards in certain areas, but he kept the spirit. So fundamentalists are always have always been dropping their standards. You guys may be old enough to remember when blogs were the devil. Oh, yeah. Facebook was. Facebook yeah. was wrong. Facebook was the devil. MySpace. Now you got fundamentalist preachers posting selfies at the
0: altar on Facebook. I remember when the, when owning a television and having cable television was a big conversation with in certain circles, like you, whether or not yeah. it was spiritual or worldly or whatever. Yeah. Because you were allowing Hollywood now to influence your family and your children where where yep. to even pay for cable and have that as a service was a, disp- was a disputed thing in the, yeah. I remember when I was a kid in the nineties, that was something that was talked yeah. about. Oh
3: yeah, for sure. Yeah. And now you got college presidents growing beards and taking pictures of them and put them on Facebook.
0: Yeah. Like,
3: <laughs> that was literally a sin when I was a teenager. Yeah. So standards don't let you know who a fundamentalist is. Yeah. If
0: you've been listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill,
3: I haven't listened to it yet. I'm, I'm. It's on the schedule. I mean, they got. They had the things. cool. They had the coolest
0: music. The most cutting edge internet. Yeah, they he were the inter- fundamentalists. They were so. the internet sensation. They were. Yeah. They were on the edge, even, and they were fundamentalists. Yeah. you yep. cannot Absolutely. miss that. You. 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 The more I listen to that, I've been blown away by the similarities, uh, in the mentality, and,
1: and that was it, that existed in that church yep. and some of the things that I've experienced uh, in my in circles that I've run in. So. This whole time I've kind of taken some some notes here of some hot words you've said defining <laughs> fundamentalism. Yeah. You've you've used the word like politics, militant, abrasive, cutting ties, you've said power a lot, separatists. Yeah. So if these are the the terms that we're using to define fundamentalism, it would seem to me then that the only hope for fundamentalism is to divide itself away from even existence. I mean, at some point, fundamentalists have to divide themselves from each other because that is who they have made themselves to be.
3: Yeah, um, I never thought about that way. That may be what will happen. I think the goal, though... And what could also happen is that they gain control.
1: So you only divide when you can't maintain control. But at some point, at some point, there's going to be no one around to maintain control
3: over. Uh, Well, that, that unless you change with them. So unless you also change, you let go of some things that you know you can't hold on to anymore. So fundamentalism has not maintained the same standards the entire time. They've let go of things. Yeah to maintain control. So fundamentalism, it changes with the times. It, it used to be that Facebook was evil until you realized oh, we can't maintain this. Like we've got to pull back a little bit. Mm. So it either divides itself into nothingness. That That is one option, or it actually gains control over people mm. and it actually wins back power. And that's the threat of fundamentalism is that, it will adapt itself enough to maintain the control over people's hearts and minds and spirits. And so I think there are many fundamentalists who dropped the music standards, who dropped the dress standards, who dropped yep. the Bible version standards so that For they sure. could continue to control people. Uh, Bob Jones used to be a segregationist uh, Academy school. Then in 2000, 2000, I graduated high school in 2000. They dropped the rule about interracial marriage. And if you listen to the Larry King interview with, I can't remember which Bob Jones was the third, maybe. Larry King's like, so you have a rule in your school that you can't have interracial marriage. And then the, the president of the school says, yes, I'd like to make an announcement now that we are dropping that rule. And I think it was Larry King says, so you're against it. He's like, well, what no one even knows about it. It's not a big deal. It's not who we are anymore. He never actually said it was wrong mm. and we are changing. What he was saying was, we look really bad. We look really bad. The whole world knows that this is not a thing. So we're gonna drop this so we can maintain control. And so I think that's what you see in fundamentalism is some of them fade away because they just get too divisive, but others lower the standards to maintain the power.
1: Yeah. Keep the same mentality. Just move the bar a little bit so that we can stay. exactly. So along yeah. those lines, then we're, we would technically be in the middle of a major, what should be a major shift in fundamentalism to be able to maintain control and power over congregants.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause we're at about that 50 year mark from, yeah. from that heyday of fundamentalism. Yeah. So I, I don't think we need
3: to be looking for fundamentalists in that little King James only church. We need to be looking for fundamentalist and Southern Baptist churches, non-denominational churches. And this is, this is, so you guys are a little bit younger than me and you got listeners who are even younger. I had maybe five years ago, sort of a crisis moment where I'm like, I I'm done with fundamentalism. Maybe six, seven years ago. It's wrong. I'm going to now join the evangelical movement where they're real Christians. And then you go out into it and you're like, Man, they're bad, too. Like, this wasn't this wasn't the good guys. And so if it's this like these King James only, these conservative music, they're the bad ones. We need to go become like Tim Keller, D.A. Carson, John Piper, non-denominational, Southern Baptist, Acts 29, whoever. Then we'll be good. Yeah, that's that's a oversimplification
0: of of the yeah. nature of sinful man, isn't it?
3: Yeah. And what you're going to find is that there are no more Pharisees anymore, but they're still Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And when there's no more independent fundamental Baptist, there will still be fundamentalists. They'll just look different. And so we need to be on guard for the fundamentalists who don't look like we're used to. And so you're, you're not looking out for the, the red flags anymore. You're looking out for the spirit. And so. I think the, the support of, po- of certain political positions and the way they're held mimics the past. And mm-hmm. so Mark Driscoll g- wasn't identified as a fundamentalist for a long time. And he hurt millions with his worldwide ministry because people didn't recognize the fundamentalism because he had tattoos and he had a rock music. And so they're like, oh, he's cool. Well, it turns out he's just as abusive as any Buddy from right. any fundamentalist church we've been at, right? He just he looked different. Hmm. So that's what we need to be on watch out on a, on lookout for. And it goes back to, and this is this is I always want to end with this: fundamentalism is about power. Christianity is about love. Fundamentalism is not about love. So you got to look for people who love one another, love the world, or love the people in the world, and that's the difference. When you find power, you find fundamentalism, AKA the world. When you find love, you find Christianity. Just listening to all of this, I, one of the things that
0: I've, as I've been reading the fundamentals, um, the original arguments that were made, and as I've been trying to learn more about the history, it, one of the things I've started to realize is, uh, instead of, as you were talking about, you, you if you leave one camp and think, oh, I'm just going to find the new camp and these guys mm-hmm. are the good guys, you're going to be disappointed there too. And realizing movements designed and made by men are always going to have flaws. And so it's one thing to look at a movement for, for what positive thing it brought and say, yeah. this is, I'll, I'll agree with this because I can own this and this was positive. But then always being willing to look at any movement, anything we're a part of and say, this is problematic. And I don't, I don't want this to be a part of who I am because it's not, it, because it's not right. When you look at, you're talking about the essential ethic of Christianity is love. Um, The Bible says God is love. Mm -hmm. So to, to always pursue movement started by Jesus that, well, that's lasted a really long time and that's yeah, not right. going anywhere. Right. And right. as you said before, there's no threats to the church. There's no threats to the gospel going forward. That's going to succeed. Every David's t- talking about guys is every weapon formed against me shall not prosper. That's yeah. the truth of the church. He says, the, as you said before, the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Being willing to, to look at the positive things that different movements have brought, but also being willing to, to um, engage with, to tangle with the the limitations and even the sin Mm -hmm. that movements have manifested because we're all flesh. There's not a single thing that's even a good thing that I can't use as a weapon to do something evil with. And everywhere we see men's movements, we see flaws, we see problems and always realize fundamentalism is just a movement that men started. It's a movement that men continued. And because of it, there are limitations, there are flaws and there's sin. Mm -hmm. And being willing to encounter that in our own hearts being willing to believe the things that are true but to be hold with such an open hand so that we can discard the things that are wrong that are sinful and um and always return back as you said to the to, to Jesus yeah. who uh the the friend of sinners the one who came for us all when all of us were broken and weak and nothing and 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 sinful and loved us in spite of it and and approached the world that way with a with a gospel of hope and uh, and, and and not compromising on the truth not compromising on but being careful to 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 fight spiritual warfare with spiritual things it's not a carnal warfare as yeah. paul said it's a spiritual warfare and um and to not allow the world and the culture to drag us into their battles and slap a bumper sticker of christianity mm-hmm. on it and, and 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 recruit us into that stuff uh, as a as a as a result Maybe yeah. a way of sort of uh, ending this today um, is, Dr. Lyon, could you talk a little bit, like, is there, do you think fundamentalism today is just a, a, it is a series of battles that are relics of the past? Does it have anything useful to offer to us today? Is there something from the history that we should cling to today that we should say this is, this is something we can hold on to?
3: Every movement that lasts more than five minutes has truth in it. Because no one is completely deceived by Satan. No one is completely taken over by sin. So no one joins movements or supports movements that are completely wrong. It's too hard to sell a lie. There has to be some truth mixed into it. So with fundamentalism, sometimes people get the idea is like, oh, everything in fundamentalism is bad. It sounds like you hate everything about it. No. If it was all bad, then we wouldn't even be talking about it because right? who cares? Right. It was good mixed with bad. So you can go into fundamentalism and you can listen to some sermons, read some books and find the truth. But then it's mixed with falsehood. And I think the problem with fundamentalism and the reason it can't survive or or that it shouldn't survive and that we shouldn't be trying to even reform it is that the truth that is there was weaponized Hmm. to a certain end uh, one one pastor told me everything in this world can be manipulated except for God. That includes Scripture. Scripture one hundred percent can be manipulated. Yeah, Satan did it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not that there's some bad in fundamentalism because there's some bad in every church, every everything. It's that what is good was weaponized for an agenda to control. And the gospel is ultimately about freedom. Mm-hmm. It is not about control. Mm. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Fundamentalists are not free. And many of us who came out of fundamentalists are still struggling to be free. Mm. And just because you left your fundamentalist church does not mean that you do are free within.
0: No, that's a journey.
3: <laughs> that freedom within. Does not happen because you started reading the New King James or something. <laughs> um, there's an internal spiritual bondage. So, fundamentalism says many true things that can be affirmed, that can be repeated, that can be held to. But the goal of the whole cultural movement is the control. And the goal of Jesus is to free. So, where you find freedom and truth, you find the gospel. Where you find truth and control, you find Pharisees. Hmm. And so ultimately, fundamentalism is about using the truth, using culture to control people. And so it needs to go away. Yeah, it it needs to be ended and replaced with the gospel, not morphed into a cooler version of fundamentalism. Right there. I heard I read a tweet by Jared Wilson
0: uh, not too long ago where he was talking about I think he was actually talking about the fundamentalists or or he was talking about the he was talking about uh, Mars Hill, I think. And he kind of the it was a tweet thread, and it kind of devolved into some some sort of philosophical um, ideas about about there's more than one way to be to believe to, there's more than one way to be a practitioner of false doctrine, and one way is to get up in your pulpit and teach it, and the other way is to unsay with your behavior all the things you're saying with your mouth. And I think that's what you're speaking to here. It's, it's, yeah. it's to say, man, it's good to believe the, the, the fundamentals, the things, those five or seven or however many, I know they disagreed right. on the number even, but those basic doctrines, the sufficiency of scripture, the, the authenticity of the, of the miracles of Jesus, the resurrection, the virgin birth, like these are all, they're central to what it is to be a Christian. Right. But all of the baggage that's flowed from that has not all been good, and it's, and it's okay for us to, to take a, a serious, honest look at it and say, who we are today is who let's, let's let ourselves be today who God wants us to be, and who the Bible commands us to be, and, yeah. and to, to, the de- to the degree we can agree with those around us good, and to the degree that we fail each other in our society, let's be honest, in our cultures, in our churches, in our pastors' fellowships, whatever,
1: let's be willing to own that too. Yeah. Well, I think I can say with all of our listeners right now, this has been like drinking from a fire hydrant in a way. <laughs> I've just been absorbing, trying to absorb everything that you've said This has been very informational for me. Yeah. We got to go to class with
3: doc,
0: with Dr. Uh, Matthew with the Doctor today.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> well, it's honestly, the people who survive fundamentalists know church history. I've seen that in my own family. I've seen that in church members. You will not survive fundamentalists unless you know church history, because you will reject fundamentalism and just wander out. But if you know the history of the church, you're like, oh, there's a gospel and there's a church out there that is not American. And so what I've done is I've just spent 10 or 15 years studying church history. Yeah. And you you guys are doing the same thing. You guys are doing the same thing.
0: Yeah. That's an amazing thing to discover. One of the, when you, some of the times Josh is one of the ones that always reminds me of this, when you hear these apocalyptic pronouncements about the state of America, joshua will be the first one to be like everybody acts like there's no christians in asia like we, <laughs> we act right? like there's no christians right? in, in, in africa right now there's like revi- huge revivals happening in africa Yeah, like there's huge revival Af- happening in the middle east yeah. like africa
3: is th- going to be the center of christianity in the future
0: yeah well, in my they, opinion that's the way they it's trending freedom, they have freedom and they have a, a growing church and you have you have more christians in china than there are people in the united states <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's right? astounding. It is. Yeah. Like, so, so, yeah. and let's not forget that there was a church here that was conservative and not fundamentalist. The black church in America existed with a healthy hundreds of years of tradition alongside of the white church without the fundamentalism. And they believed in the fundamentals. Yeah, no, they were in, so like, st- we don't, don't even of, know about
0: that. A lot of those churches are still on average, more socially conservative than their white counter white church counterparts. Absolutely. And, and theologically,
3: wild. every black church I've visited in, in all the cities I've been to in America, have preached the fundamentals. Hmm. Yeah. That's and we wild. just don't know about it because we were, we we're isolated from it. And, and it gets the idea of like the church is failing. Like, which church are you talking about? <laughs> like there's more than one local yeah. church. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you got, you got the local church and like, there's so many of those. Yeah. How can you speak for all of them? And then there's the body of Christ as a whole. And don't dare say that's failing. No. His, his truth is marching on. Yep,
1: absolutely. Yep.
0: Well, man, it's been great to have you on, uh, Doctor Lyon. Thank you so much once again for coming, man. We've we've had such a great time and and been blessed by having you,
1: Doctor Lyon. Would you mind closing us in in prayer as we wrap this up tonight? For sure. Heavenly Father, we come to
3: you uh, grateful that we have brothers and sisters that we've uh, live in different states, different countries, and we get to connect with uh, different means of grace. And we want to be encouraged and we want to encourage one another that uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ was built uh, with the power of, of you and through the blood of the cross and that nothing can harm it, nothing can undermine it, and that the kingdom of God is here and will be here and that we get to take part in that. So... Lord, I pray that you would encourage each one of us, each one of the listeners who may be uh, feeling alone uh, in their church or in their home, and, and they just think that no one out there cares, that uh, you have sent your son, and then you have sent other Christians to encourage them and to, to tell them that you love them, and that you will love them, and that if we are in Christ, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And in Jesus' name we
2: pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Young Baptist Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Young Pod, and check out our website at theyoungbaptistpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you consume the content and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on The Young Baptist Podcast.